Well, hi, everyone. Uh, can you believe it? We are finally in the last weekend of August 2020. And this kind of marks the end of summer vacation. And what a summer it has been. Wouldn't you all agree to that? And uh, I want to thank you. I want to begin by just thanking you for sharing the gospel video that we put together that we uh, released last weekend or a couple weekends ago now. Uh, it has been shared by more than, more than 2,500 times and uh, as of this point, it's been viewed, I believe, around a quarter of a million times. And so that's very encouraging to us, and I want to thank you for helping us do that. It is so important that we get the gospel of Jesus Christ out into the, the hearts and minds of people all over the world. And uh, I want to encourage you to keep sharing the gospel video with others. And if you haven't done so already, if you've done it already, you can, you can go to YouTube to our South Bay Community Church, our SBCC Live page and our channel, and share it from there. You can share it from our South Bay Community Church Facebook page. You can share it from our South Bay Community Church Instagram page. You can also share it from our app or even from our website. And when you click on share, it will give you a range of options as to which platform to share it on. And you can choose those platforms. You can even tweet it out on Twitter. And you can also email it to someone. You can even text it to someone. There are all kinds of ways to get it out. But the important part is to get the Word of God out to people. Uh, because, you know, it's, it's oftentimes very challenging to share your faith with others. I know that even me, it's, been, it's a challenge at times. But, but now we've given you the mechanism or the tool by which to do that. All you need to do is click or paste and click and share, and, and you can get the gospel to someone. And uh, I hope you do that. When you do that, remember to pray for your family and friends, those who would watch it, that their hearts would be open to what they're about to hear. And I want to encourage you to send it to uh, your fellow uh, Christians as well. Send it to believers because believers need to, hear, need to hear the gospel as well. And I want to urge you to do it right away. Do it right away because this is the great need of the hour. It really is. I can't stress this enough. You know, this week I was saddened to learn that another African-American man was shot in the back by a police officer. It is a terrible tragedy. You know, as I look about uh, the world today, I see it spiraling totally out of control. Lawlessness is ramping up in our country. People are getting angrier and meaner and nastier. Uh, since George Floyd, uh, hate hasn't abated. It is only intensified. Uh, hearts are getting harder. Love is growing colder. Dark is getting darker. And it is absolutely heartbreaking. And the only hope that our world has is in Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. He is the world's only hope. He is the only one who can forgive us of our sins. He's the only one who can reconcile us to God. He's the only one who can bring us together and give us the gift of eternal life. And so we need to get the gospel out. We need to tell people about Jesus. And uh, another reason why the gospel is the need of the hours, because Jesus can come to take us home at any moment. And once he raptures the church and takes us home to be with him, that will be it. That will be it. No one will be here to share the gospel. And those who are not fully devoted followers of Christ will be left 
behind. They will be left behind. And it will be a horrible, horrible faith, fate. And I, I, you know, I uh, believe the most chilling words that Jesus ever uh, uttered had to do with the coming tribulation, what will happen after the rapture of the church. And it's found in Matthew 24, 21. And I'll put it up here for you. But Jesus said this, For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. Let those words sink in. There will be a time unlike anything we have ever experienced on this planet. You know, there have been some pretty horrendous things that have happened since the beginning of the world. I mean, an estimated 1 billion people have died from tuberculosis. Up to 200 million people have died from the Black Death, which was the deadliest pandemic in all of human history. Up to 100 million people died from the Spanish flu, that pandemic of 1918. Here are a couple of photos. And one of the deadliest disasters ever recorded, up to 4 million people died from the 1931 floods in China. It is believed that under Mao Zedong's rule uh, as the chairman of the Communist Party in China, 45 million Chinese people died because of his policies. And who will ever forget the two atomic bombs dropped on Japan and the Nazi Holocaust that wiped out six million Jews. And what did Jesus say about all these things? They will pale in comparison as to what is to come. It will pale in comparison to the great tribulation period. You know, for the last few weeks, we've been studying the scriptures to see what it has to say about the end times. And it has been our heart to teach you the Word of God, teach you what the Bible has to say. Last week, Pastor Greg enlightened us on some of the things that will occur during the Great Tribulation period. Today, I want to I tell you how the Great Tribulation period will come to a close. And again, the Antichrist, who is the key figure during this seven-year period, will, be, will play a major role. He will play a major role in the close of the Great Tribulation period. Two weeks ago, we learned that the Antichrist is a man. He is a leader. He will be the leader of the world. He will be energized by Satan. He will be the personification of evil. He will make a pact with Israel at the beginning of that seven-year tribulation period. And then he will desecrate the temple. He will go into it and declare that he is God. He will hunt down and kill Christians. He will control the economy. His number will be 666, and he will force everyone who is alive to choose sides. And of course, the $64,000 question uh, has, in your minds has probably been, who is the Antichrist? Who is he? Well, today's lesson might actually shed some light on who he is, on his identity. All right, so before we get into it, let me open up our time in a word of prayer, all right, and ask, I just pray that God will, will be our teacher and that he will speak to us today. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we have, even though we're, we're still not able to meet together, and I hope that's going to be very, very soon now that we'll be able to do that, but thank you for the opportunity that, that even over the internet, we can still meet together and, and pray together and worship you 
And Father, today I pray that your words would cut to our hearts and it would enlighten us and it would inspire us and it would educate us on, on these last days. And Father, as we go into this uh, time together, our hearts are, are, are just broken by all the things going on in our own country today. And Father, indeed, uh, things are spiraling out of control. And Father, the world, our own country, our own community needs you, needs the gospel more than ever. And I pray that you would give us favor as we preach the gospel, as we get the gospel out to, to people who desperately need it. So Father, even this morning, speak to our hearts. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in the book of Revelation, chapter 16, there's a terrifying scene uh, that takes place in the last half of the tribulation period when seven angels pour out seven bowls of God's wrath upon the earth. We actually covered this when we uh, did this series on the book of Revelation a few years ago. But just to quickly summarize for you, the first bowl is directed at those who take the mark of the beast and it comes in the form of painful sores. The second bowl is poured out into the ocean and it becomes like blood and it kills every living creature in the ocean. The third bowl is poured into the rivers and springs of the, of the earth and it too becomes blood. The fourth bowl is poured out on the sun and it becomes so hot that it scorches people with fire. The fifth bowl is poured out on the throne of the Antichrist and it plunges his kingdom into darkness and people gnaw their tongues in anguish. And then the sixth bowl is poured out on the Euphrates River, which is nearly 1,800 miles long. It runs from the mountains of Ararat and Turkey and cuts through Syria and Iraq and empties into the Persian Gulf. And when that bowl is poured out, this river will dry up, preparing the way for the invasion of Israel from the kings of the east. Here's what Revelation 16, starting in verse 13, has to say. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole earth to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. And behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen uh, exposed. And they assemble them at the place. In Hebrew, is called Armageddon. You can stop right there. When the sixth bowl is poured out by the angel, not only will the Euphrates River dry up, but the dragon, that would be Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet will begin to speak evil and vile words that will incite the entire world to gather together for war at a place called Armageddon. That's what this is saying. Now, by the way, you, you might have noticed that verse 15 here in chapter 16 is in parentheses. It is in parentheses. When the apostle John wrote this passage in Greek, he didn't put a parenthesis around that sentence. This was done by English translators, like e, the ESV translators, and they did it to set this verse apart from the others because verse 15 are the words of Jesus. So John, in verse 15, was quoting Jesus, and here's what he 
how he quoted Jesus. Jesus said, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. All right, so that's why the parentheses are there. That's just a heads up. I want you to know that this is a quote from Jesus. Now, in verse 16, I want you to circle the word Armageddon. Circle Armageddon. And it says here that it is a Hebrew word. Armageddon is a Hebrew word. It is made up of two words, Har and Mageddon. Now, it means, taken together, it means the hill of Megiddo. The hill of Megiddo. The hill of Megiddo is located about 60 miles north of Jerusalem in Israel. When we were in Israel last November, it was one of our first stops uh, the hill of Megiddo. When we were there, we actually ascended the hill, took a bus to get up there, and we looked about, we looked, uh, we had an t- amazing view. We looked over the hill, or from the hill, and we, and here's a wide, a wide shot of what we saw. We saw the plain of Megiddo, and it actually went on for miles and miles and miles, and this particular photo doesn't even do justice because it's so, so large. The plain, this plain of Megiddo has been the location of at least a couple of hundred military campaigns going back 3,500 years. Well, one day, according to this passage, Megiddo will be the site of the last great battle. This is where the end of the world will commence. The prophet Zechariah described the battle of Armageddon this way. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2. He said, Behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. And on that day I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. In this passage, Jerusalem is portrayed as a basin. The Hebrew word for cup here means basin. Jerusalem will be a basin from which the nations of the world will figuratively take a drink from. And it will cause them to become intoxicated and to stagger, making them disoriented, making them easy prey for God's wrath. And then verse 3 says, Jerusalem will be a heavy stone. If you've ever tried to lift a heavy stone, you know it can put the hurt on you. And that's exactly what this verse says is going to happen. Now notice who Zechariah said will gather against Jerusalem at the end of verse 3. It says, it will be all the nations, all the nations. So all the nations led by the Antichrist will gather in Megiddo, Armageddon, to attack Jerusalem. And instead of destroying Jerusalem, these nations will put a hurt on themselves and stagger as God pours out his wrath Upon them. Now I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get to this next week. But Revelation 16 and Zechariah 12 are two places where we learn about the Battle of Armageddon. The most detailed account of Armageddon, however, is actually provided for us in an Old Testament book called Ezekiel. So turn to Ezekiel chapter 38, where the entire chapter is devoted to this apocalyptic conflict. Ezekiel 38. Now, There was a time, there was a time when Bible teachers didn't believe that Ezekiel 38 had anything to do with Armageddon. They thought it referred to a different battle, a different war. You know, this is something that I wrestled with um, for many, many years. 
And I finally came to understand that this, in fact, Ezekiel 38 is, is in fact, the battle of Armageddon. Take a look at Ezekiel 38, starting in verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. Verse 5, Persia, Cush, and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his hordes, Beth Togarma from the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes, many peoples are with you. You can stop right there. This passage names one man, one man and multiple locations. The man is Gog. In verse 2, circle Gog. I believe Gog refers to the Antichrist. Now we can't tell from examining the Hebrew word for Gog who this is. Uh, there's very little information about him or the, even the etymology of the word, word, where the word comes from. All we know for sure is that Gog is a leader. In verses 2 and 3, he is referred to as the chief prince. He is the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. So circle Meshech and Tubal and also circle Magog. Now, obviously, these three names uh, don't mean, uh, really mean anything to us. They're very ancient names. But if we can figure out uh, what they mean and where they're located, uh, it give us a clue as to the identity of Gog. And uh, because the names are so old, uh, it, is, it is quite a challenge. Let me um, explain how we're going to try to figure this out. I am, um, I am an East Letton. I'm an East Letton because I was born in a town called East Letta in West Texas. Today, you can't find East Letta on most maps of the state of Texas. It's right next door to El Paso, about 13 miles, just a little bit south of El Paso. And if you take a look at this map right here of Texas, um, you, can't, you can't even see it. You can't, if you look near El Paso, which is on the far left side there of the map, you can't see it. Take a look at this map. Here's another map. Again, you can't see it. It's not, it doesn't even appear on the map. Even when I zoomed in on the city of El Paso on Google Maps, it was nowhere to be found. It, it didn't show up. And it made me sad. I, I thought maybe I wasn't born. And then I found a map from 1866. And there it was. It was actually spelled with an I, Isleta. And I was so happy. I was born after all. And then I found another map from 1901. And there it was again. This was shortly before I was born. And you can't imagine how ecstatic I was when I learned that Isleta really did exist. Now here's what I learned about my birth town. Isleta was established in 1680 by a tribal community known as the Tiwas. And uh, in 1955, in fact, it is considered the oldest, for a long time, it was considered the oldest establishment or settlement in Texas. In 1955, Isleta was annexed by the city of El Paso, and it literally disappeared 
from all the maps. That's kind of what happened to it. Disappeared off the face of the map. The names in Ezekiel 38 are even older than Isleta. And most of them, not all of them, except maybe for one, have disappeared off the face of the map. These are ancient names, but they really did exist. And uh, some are easier to identify than others, but it takes some digging. And that's what I did for you all this week. The first names that appear in this passage are Magog, and then Meshech, and then Tubal. Let me give you some background. According to Genesis chapter 8, Noah's Ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Now, I'm not going to read it for you, but here's the verse, Genesis 8. In the very last line, or the very last phrase I highlighted for you, Ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Ararat is in eastern Turkey, as you can see on this map. That's where it's located. And as you know, the, the worldwide flood wiped out everything. And the only humans on board the ark were Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives, a total of eight people, eight people. Well, after the waters subsided, and it took weeks for the waters to subside, the doors of the ark finally opened, and the animals and, the, and Noah and his family disembarked and got off the ark. And then they separated, they, they dispersed throughout the land. In Genesis chapter 10, we are given the names of Noah's family. Take a look at Genesis chapter 10, verse 1, and we'll look at verse 2. These are the generations of Noah's, of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. Okay, so first of all, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. All right, and then they had sons born to them. Verse 2 says, the sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. Right? Japheth had um, seven sons, and three of them, Magog, Tubal, and Meshech, uh, were his sons. They were Noah's grandsons. Now, what we learn from reading this is that Magog, Tubal, and Meshech were not only places, but they were people. They were Noah's grandsons. And they were people after whom places were named. Kind of like America was named after Amerigo Vaspucci. The question is, where were these places? Well, many historians and Bible scholars believe that Japheth's sons didn't venture, or Japheth didn't venture too far after he left the ark at Mount, on Mount Ararat. And uh, he settled somewhere in Asia Minor and then had a family and gave birth to his sons. And uh, Asia Minor is where Turkey is located today. So he probably didn't venture too far from Mount Ararat, just kind of dispersed in the area. Hippolytus of Rome, who was one of the most important Christian theologians and thinkers of the third century, that's over 1,700 years ago, said Magog was a, a region located in modern-day Turkey. Pliny the Elder, who was a Roman author, who's alive at the time of Christ, wrote an epic book called Naturalis Historia, or Natural History. It looks like this. It was encyclopedic in its scope. Pliny the Elder identified the ancient uh, city of Lydia, as, or uh, of Hierapolis, as Magog, uh, the ancient Lydian city of Hierapolis. All right? So today, you can't find Hierapolis on the map because the name has been changed to Pamukkale, Pamukkale, as you see on this particular map. So 
The Zondervan Illustrated Bible Dictionary says Magog, quote, Magog was no doubt in Asia Minor and may refer to Lydia, which was, of course, in Western Turkey. In addition, the University Press Atlas of, the Bible history, of Bible History places Magog in Turkey, as does the Holman Bible Atlas and the New Moody Atlas of the Bible. All place Magog in Turkey. Now, Japheth's other two sons mentioned in Ezekiel 38 are Tubal and Meshech. You know, um, nearly 500 years before Christ, a Greek philosopher named Herodotus identified Tubal with the ancient province of, province of Pontus, located in Turkey. If you look at this ancient map, you'll see Tubal in the northeastern uh, part of Turkey, just below the Black Sea. And if you look right next to it, you can make out Meshech, and I've circled them for you. The, the Expositor's Bible Commentary wrote, Meshech and Tubal refer to areas in eastern Turkey, unquote. Now, some of what we know about Meshech and Tubal also comes from uh, Tiglath-Pilaser I, who was an Assyrian king. Um, they found some of his artifacts. He wrote about Meshech and Tubal on this clay prism, which was excavated. It's housed today in the British Museum, but Meshech and Tubal are actually mentioned on this particular artifact. And there are a few other names. So we, we know Meshech and Tubal, likely from Turkey. There are a few other names in Ezekiel 38 that I want to look at. Verse 5, circle Persia, circle Cush, and circle Put. Persia is an easy one, right? That's Iran. Persia is Iran. Persia has always been called Persia until 1935, and that's when it changed its name to the Islamic Republic of Iran. Cush and Put are much harder to identify the King James translation of Ezekiel 38, I'll put it up here for you, identifies Cush as Ethiopia and put as Libya. But we don't have the, the substantiation. We don't have the backing to, to make that claim. So it's not conclusive. And so scholars aren't positive as to this identification. The, the honest answer is we don't know uh, where Cush and put really are. Finally, in verse 6, there are two other names Gomer and Beth Togarma. Gomer was Japheth's eldest son. And according to Flavius Josephus, who was a Jew Jewish historian in the first century, wrote this 20-volume vol work on the history of the Jews called the Antiquities of the Jews. Kind of looks like this. Gomer settled in an area known as Galatia, which was in Turkey. And Josephus said that his people were called Gomerites. And then their name, their, later their name was changed to Galatians. And as you can see from this map right here, Galatia or Gomer was right in the heart of Turkey. Finally, there's Beth Togarma in Ezekiel 38, verse 6. The Beth isn't short for Elizabeth. In Hebrew, it's the word Bet, and it means house of. So this is a reference to the house of Togarma. Scholars, scholars have associated Togarma with Tegarama, which was the capital city of the Hittites in southeastern Turkey. And here it is on a map. It is also believed that out of Togarma came a Turkish people group known as the Khazars, who were a nomadic tribe. They roamed around the area there. In the year 960, the king of Khazar wrote this in a letter. He wrote, quote, You ask us also in your epistle 
Of what people, of what family, and of what tribe are you? Know that we are descended from Japheth through his son Togarma. And so the evidence seems to be pretty overwhelming that these names, these people, were places in Turkey. Now, I know all this sounds a little bit tedious to you, but I wanted to take time to go through this carefully because if these places really are in Turkey, then the ramifications are stunning. They are absolutely staggering. Let me summarize it for you. According to Ezekiel 38, one day a leader called Gog, who will come from the land of Magog, which seems to be in Turkey. He will be the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, which, seem, which appears to be in Turkey, will align with a group of nations. One of them we know for sure is Iran. The others we're not sure of. And they will unite with a horde from Gomer and Togarma, which also appear to be Turkey. And together... They will attack Israel. Let's pick it up in Ezekiel chapter 38, starting in verse 7. Be ready and keep ready, you and all your hosts that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be mustered. In the latter years you will go against the land that is restored from war. Remember, Israel is regathered as a nation, 1948. The land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. And you will advance. Coming on like a storm, you will be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your hordes and many peoples with you. And then jump down to verse 14. Therefore, son of man... Prophesy and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days, I will bring you against my land, that the nations may know me, when through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. This will be an attack on Israel. They will gather together to attack Israel. And notice it says in verse 16, it will take place in the latter days. And notice where the invasion of Israel will come from. Verse 15 tells us it will come from the uttermost parts of the north. What is directly north of Israel? Take a look at this map. It's Turkey. It's Turkey. Indeed, this is, Ezekiel 38, is the battle of Armageddon. And if the places named in Ezekiel 38 really are in Turkey... Magog, Meshech, Tubal, Gomer, Togarma. And if Gog is their leader, then Gog has to be the Antichrist. And of course, it begs the question, well, who is the leader of Turkey? 
Well, it's this man right here. Of course, Turkey's had many leaders over all these many centuries, but he is the current leader of Turkey. This is Recep Tayyip Erdogan. He uh, ascended the presidency in, 19, in 2014, in 2014, after serving as prime minister of Turkey for 11 years. And after he became president, he eliminated the prime minister position because he didn't want to share power with anyone. Today, he is constantly in the news, constantly in the news. Take a look at just a couple of recent headlines on Erdogan, just to give you an idea of what people are saying about him. This one appeared in The Guardian, which is a British daily newspaper a week and a half ago. Erdogan is both a bully and a menace. Europe ignores him at its peril. This headline came from the Swarajna, uh, which is a monthly publication in, in India, 10 days ago. Turkey is the biggest invisible threat to India. Erdogan shouldn't be trusted, according to a Congress leader, A.M. Singh V. And then this headline here uh, from a week ago from Z News, which is a Hindi news channel. Turkey President Erdogan attempts to displace Saudi Arabia as leader of Muslim world. Erdogan wants to be the leader of the Muslim world. Recently, the head of Israel's intelligence agency, Mossad, said that Turkey, not Iran, poses the greatest threat and danger to Israel. Turkey, not Iran. This was the editorial headline in the Jerusalem Post in July last month. Turkey is increasingly, increasingly becoming a threat to Israel. And then this headline appeared in the Jerusalem Post just a couple days ago. The time has come for Western allies to stand up to Turkey. If Erdogan is the Antichrist, then all these headlines make a lot of sense. It makes you wonder <clears throat> what he's up to and what's going on. Could Erdogan be the, the Antichrist? The honest answer is we don't know. And we may never know. Here's why we may never know. At least in this life, we may never know. Because if my eschatology is correct, the identity of the Antichrist will not be revealed to the world until after the rapture. We, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. After the rapture, then this leader will rise to power and broker a deal with Israel, some kind of a treaty with Israel. We don't know what kind of treaty it is, right? And it's at that time that he will be revealed. And, and if the church is raptured, which I believe is the case, we won't be here, and therefore we won't know who the Antichrist is. And that makes me wonder, has made me wonder all this week and last week as well, why God has had so much to say about the Antichrist in his word. Why has he had so much to say? Well, I can only speculate, but one reason might be so that people who are left behind, if they're willing to pick up a Bible and read it, will know who this person is. That he's not just going to be the leader of the world, but he's going to be someone who will oppose God and fight God to the very end. And uh, hopefully, people will come to realize when they recognize him and when they read the Bible, recognize who he is, they won't be deceived into taking the mark of the beast. 
And they'll live for Christ in the seven-year tribulation period. They'll live for Christ no matter what the cost. More importantly for us, I believe God gave us this information about the Antichrist so that when we begin to see some movement in this area, and I, I don't have any doubt that there might be some movement in this area before the rapture occurs. Um, but when we begin to see movement in this area, we will know that time is short. And I believe time is short. Now, I hope it's not too short because I want to see the angels win one more World Series before I leave this planet. And the way they play it might not be for years. So I hope it's not too short. Uh, we, so we need a few more years, right? Lord, we need a few more years. But, but in my heart of hearts, in my heart of hearts, I believe that time is short. And if time is short, it begs the question, how do we live? Well, here's how we ought to live. We ought to live as if Christ isn't coming back for a while. And the angels are going to win the World Series next year because it's not going to be this year. And at the same time, we should live like he's coming back tomorrow. That's how we should live. Let me close with these words of our, from our Lord. Matthew 24, verse 42 through 44. Jesus said, therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left, let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We don't know when Christ is going to come to take the church home. It could be at any moment. That's why we've got to be ready. You be ready. Get right with God and keep following him with everything you have. Even if he doesn't come back this year or next, you stay ready. You stay alert. You keep staying right with God and follow him with all your heart. And then do everything in your power to get the gospel out to people. It's up to the Lord to, to, to convert people. It's up to the Lord to draw them to himself, but it's up to us to share the gospel with others. Do that today. Do that this week. Make it the aim of your life because the Lord could come at any moment. Let's close our time in prayer. As you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, wherever you're at, wherever you're watching or listening from, the question I'd ask you is, are you ready? If the Lord came today, would you be ready? Well, you can be. If you're not sure, you can be. Right now, right where you're at, why don't you transact some heart business with him? And pour out your heart to him. And tell him. Tell him, confess to him that you're a sinner. And tell him that you believe in him. And make him the Lord of your life. And if you transact that kind of business with him, you will be ready. Say this to him right now. Dear God, I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I have been far, far away from you. Or maybe for some of you, you know Christ, 
you've walked with him in the past, but you've strayed away. Confess that to him. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us of all of our sins. You say that if by faith we ask you to forgive us of our sins, you will. And you will cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. Lord, today we declare that we believe in you. We believe in the Christ, the Son of the living God. And one day he's going to come and take us home to be with you. And we put our trust in you. And we put our hope in you. Lord, we give you our lives. Father, these are crazy times we're living in. And the truth is, we don't really know who the bad guys are and who the good guys are. We don't know who the Antichrist is. But Lord, we know who you are. And I pray that you would help us not to be fearful in these days, but to live by faith, to follow you, to love you, to make you known as if you're coming tomorrow. And yet at the same time, because we have no idea when you'll come, help us to live every day faithfully on your behalf to plan and do things, even plan for things in the future. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. Let it be our stabilizing force as we go through this world, as we hear crazy things from from a lot of different people. Lord, thank you again for your son. We pray these things in his precious name. Amen.